chapter 4. We'll be looking at verses 16 to 18 this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. And this is a subject I love to talk about. Living in light of eternity. Listen to what Paul writes here. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word this morning, open our eyes of faith to see those things that are eternal, that are real, that are lasting and significant. And Father, help us, help us to see that so clearly that we choose to live today and every day in light of eternity. Father, that's not easy for us. We are so much a part of this world that I pray that you would help us by your Holy Spirit to see it and live that way. In Jesus' name, amen. About a year ago, the world was beginning to prepare for the 2010 Winter Olympics that were going to be held in Vancouver, British Columbia. And a number of us were watching different athletes. There were American athletes who were making the news at that time. And one of those that kind of the eyes of the world were on was Lindsey Vaughn, the American skier. She grew up in Minnesota. She started out skiing at a place called Buck Hill, which some of you know where that is or have skied there also. And, uh, you know, she was just uh, preparing for these games because it had been a lifelong dream of hers to ski in the Olympics and to win a gold medal. I mean, from the time she was a young girl and people realized that she had tremendous talent, she had set her eyes on this goal. And you could say she lived her life in light of the Olympics. I mean, everything that she did from the age of being a a young woman and preparing for these games, everything she did was directed toward that goal. All of the training, all of the time that she put in, the sacrifice, the hard work, the diet and exercise, you know, all those things, the competition, the travel, everything was designed to help her reach this goal of winning a gold medal in the Olympics. And then, as you know, last winter she was doing so well in the international competition leading up to the Olympics. She was at the top of her game, and then she had a fall in a competition and an injury that resulted where everybody was wondering, would she be able to ski at all, let alone compete at a high level in the Olympics? But she persevered through those difficulties. She persevered through the injury and did everything she could to get ready for the games. And when they were over, she had reached her goal. She won a gold medal in the women's downhill skiing. You know, I think about her example And I think about what Paul writes in this passage and in other passages of Scripture. The Apostle Paul lived his life like that too. But he lived for a different goal. He didn't live for an earthly goal. He lived for a heavenly one. And he wrote about that in Scripture. For example, he said in Philippians 3.14, 
that I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He had his eyes on a goal, on the prize that would be his one day when he stood in the presence of our Lord. And he often compared the Christian life to athletic competition. He said, for example, in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 and 25, that we should run in such a way as to get the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training, and they do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. He's thinking about those same kind of Olympic games that took place even in that time at Greece. And he's saying, I know that these athletes who compete in that, I mean, they go into strict training. It has always been that way. There's a lot we can learn from athletic competition. There's a lot we can learn from sports about discipline and sacrifice and hard work and teamwork and passion and goals and working to achieve those goals. But Paul says... Think about what will last. Think about what will truly last. They do it to achieve an earthly prize, but we run to reach a goal or a prize that will last for all of eternity. So live your life in light of eternity. What does that mean? And how do we do that? Well, that's going to be what we're going to talk about this morning in these three verses. What does it mean and how do we do that? Well, first of all, Paul says that it requires a daily renewal in us. We see that in verse 16. He said, therefore, we do not lose heart. Paul has just gone through some of these struggles that he has experienced in his life as an apostle. The hardships, the difficulties, the uncertainty, the suffering that he went through. In chapter 11, when we get there, he's going to be even more specific about how many times he was shipwrecked, how many times he was beaten and uh, scourged and stoned and left for dead and all of those things that he's going to share. And it's just an unbelievable list. I mean, you read that and you wonder, how could anyone have survived? Paul says, it's not me. It is the strength that God has given me and his mercy on my life. And so he can look at all of those trials and he can say, yet we are not discouraged, we are not going to quit. Indeed, we are very bold because of this. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. These two processes that I mentioned last week in the passage we looked at before this are that we carry about in our body two things, the death of Jesus and the life of Jesus. The death of Jesus, we are dying every day. The life of Jesus, we are being renewed. His power, his strength is continually at work in us. And so Paul carries that over into this passage, and he says, I know these things are going on. This outer man... Now, he's not talking about our old man. He's not talking about our sin nature here. But he's saying, this outer man is wearing out. In chapter 5, he's going to compare it to a tent. It's like an old tent that is wearing out and going to be laid aside someday. That's this physical body. 
And we see that, don't we? We feel that, how we are, in a sense, wearing out, or we see the weakness of our flesh or the frailty of our human body. An athlete who is so strong in his prime loses his strength as he ages. You know, and you can think about that. If you're a Vikings fan, you're probably going to be grateful that the season is ending today, you know, and finally going to be over. What started with great hopes, you know, of thinking they could bring Brett Favre back and maybe he'd have another wonderful year. You see the aging of our body, and you just can't do at age 40 what you did when you were younger and in your prime. An actress or a model loses her beauty as she grows older and you see so many try so hard to hold on to it as long as they can and then the advertisers try to get you know us to buy all of these products that are going to stop the aging stop this process if we can and we can't it's inevitable as we grow older but there is an inner beauty that we can have and a vocalist even or a musician may lose the strength of their voice. Now, they may last many more years in terms of what they are able to do. But even age there takes its toll on the strength of a voice or the dexterity of the fingers. And we see this process continue. Our outer man is wasting away. And yet, for the believer, there is another process at work in us We are being renewed every day as we walk with God. There is this renewal that is taking place on the inside, this strength that comes from our Lord. We are renewed in our mind as we spend time in God's Word. And that's really where we need to participate in this process. You know, it's not like we just kind of sit around doing nothing and let God do it all. No, God invites us and wants us to participate in this process. As we spend time in His Word, as we fellowship with Him, we grow in our wisdom, our knowledge, our understanding, and we see Him at work in us. We are renewed in our spirit as we yield our life to the Holy Spirit and allow Him to fill us and purify our hearts and to use us. And we grow in our relationship with Him. And we can't see it visibly. We can't see the Holy Spirit in us or we can't see this daily incremental change in a visible way. But we do see the effect that it has upon us, upon our thoughts, upon our habits and our life. And when we look back, we see how as we have walked with God, we have experienced greater joy, greater peace, greater conviction, greater hope, all of those things that are the fruit of the Holy Spirit in us as we walk with Him. And there's a depth, there's a richness to our faith that is just a real delight from seeing God at work. And you see the fruit of ministry or service or you rejoice in coming together and worshiping. You take joy in your relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ. All of that is part of that daily renewal. But we must participate in that process. That work is hindered if we are disobedient to the Lord or if we do not uh, take that initiative to walk with Him or to spend time with Him in His presence. Secondly, we have a future glory. A future glory. 
A daily renewal produces solid, lasting glory. We see that in verse 17. He tells us that our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. This eternal weight of glory is far out of proportion to any suffering we may experience in this life. Now, I always find that to be an amazing statement. Because, you know, I think of what people have gone through in this life, and I think of those who have suffered so much, whether it's believers in persecution or those who have dealt with lifelong disabilities or illnesses or tragedies. And you and I all know that sometimes certain individuals just seem to suffer far more than others. And sometimes we just don't, we don't understand that. Why is that, Lord? And yet God says here, that that eternal weight of glory that is being prepared for us far outweighs anything we might experience in this life. Paul writes in Romans 8.18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. You know, it's kind of like he's saying, I don't even talk about that. I mean, that's like, they aren't worth putting on the same scale. I mean, if you did, you know, and you had one of those balance scales where you put the weight and suffering's over here and glory's over here, and you, you put that glory on, and it's just like this. It's just whomp. It's way out of proportion to what you might experience in this life. That's amazing. Paul says, think about that. Consider that. Did you notice how he describes our suffering as light and momentary? All the way through this text, there are comparisons and contrasts. And let me just point out some of them. There's the contrast between what is outward and what is inward. There's the contrast between this body that is wasting away and that new man that's being renewed. There's the contrast between light, suffering, and weighty glory. There's a contrast between what is momentary and what is eternal, between our suffering and the glory that is to come. There's a contrast between what is seen and what is unseen, and the contrast between what is temporary and, again, what is eternal. And he tells us to think about those things that are going to last. In this passage, he speaks about glory as something that can be added to. I mean, that too is amazing. There is a glory of heaven that is unchangeable, that everyone who gets there will experience. And yet there is also, in this reference, a glory that has to do with our rewards for faithfulness and service and diligence in this life. And so somehow our perseverance through trials, our endurance of suffering, our testimony to our Lord will achieve for each individual a different set of crowns and rewards. There are crowns for those who die as martyrs and who are faithful to Christ. There are crowns for those who long for His return, who long for it and live in light of that day. There are crowns for those who have been faithful in our different callings in life. I mean, there are specific rewards the Bible tells us about for our faithfulness. And not everyone's going to get all of them or all the same. They'll be unique to you and this 
road that God has asked you to walk on. And when you are faithful to Him and you live your life in light of eternity, then will come that day when He will bless you and reward you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Our sufferings, our hardships, our perseverance, our faith are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs anything we might experience in this life. God is no one's debtor. There's no one who has sacrificed more than they will receive in the future. I think of the story of David Livingston, who was an early missionary and pioneer who went to Africa because of God's call in his life. And when he went there initially, he, he uh, attempted and was part of kind of a traditional missionary effort, and then he realized, you know, his gifts were not as well suited for that as they were for exploration. And he loved this missionary exploration, and he believed that God could use him. If he could open up Africa to the rest of the world, other missionaries would follow who could do a far better job than I could. I mean, he just looked at his uniqueness on how God had made him, and he was involved in that work of bringing Christ to those who had not heard it before, but he believed he could do far better as a missionary pioneer to open up the way for others. And he suffered much in his life. He gave up much in terms of time away from his family and time away from the comforts of England and the things that he had once enjoyed. And yet when he was asked near the end of his life how he felt about the sacrifice that he had made, he said, what sacrifice? I never made a sacrifice. When you think of what Christ has done for us and how much he has given, what sacrifice do we make? It's the same thing that drove Jim Elliot, who said, you know, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That is not a foolish decision to give up things in this life for eternal glory and eternal gain. God is no one's debtor. Do you remember what Jesus said in Mark 10, verses 29 and 30? He said to the disciples, I tell you the truth, that there is no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel, who will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and fields, and with them, persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. You catch what he's saying there. There's no one who has made any kind of sacrifices, we would consider it in this life, who will not be blessed or receive a hundred times as much, Jesus is saying, an untold number of blessings that come for those who live this way. Talk about a return on your investment. <laughs> You're not going to get that in the marketplace, are you? You know, you think about this. I mean, you put your money in a bank today in a CD, what are you going to get? A half a percent? Maybe one and a half percent? Two? Maybe? What is he talking about here? A hundred times as much? A thousand percent? Ten thousand percent? Return on your investment. 
It is an amazing promise. God is no one's debtor. And one day, even this physical body will be made new. For the unbeliever, the thought of death is terrifying. They see the frailty of human life. They see the limitations begin to creep in as we age, and we can do less and less. They see our mental capacity decline. They see our physical limitations, and the thought of death is terrifying because there is no hope beyond the grave, and the world closes in. And sometimes you read about people who in that stage become so bitter, so cynical about life, so frustrated with these limitations. And yet for the believer, there is hope because this present body will be laid aside and we will receive a new physical body remade by the Creator Himself. A body that will be like our Lord's, glorified, made new, made for eternity. Paul writes about this new spiritual body we will receive in 1 Corinthians 15 and he says this, that this earthly body he's talking about that is sown, that is laid in the grave, is perishable but it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, and it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body, immortal, imperishable, just like our Lord's. No wonder the Scripture says that we do not grieve like those who have no hope. There is a difference in the way that Christians approach death. And this is just one part of our future glory. You know, I'm talking about what's going to happen to this physical body, and we'll talk about that more next week. Uh, Chapter 5, we're going to talk about what happens when we die, and those things that are yet to come. But this is just one part of our future glory. There is so much more. I mean, in that day when we are made new, we will see Jesus face to face. We will be reunited with loved ones who have died in the Lord and gone before us. You know, and I think about that. I can't wait, in one sense, to walk down that line of those people who shared the gospel and who helped to bring me to Christ. I mean, I'd love to trace back that line of people all the way back to Jesus and the apostles. And to see who it was in that line that brought the gospel to the next person, to the next person, to the next person, so that I might hear and come to know Christ. And depending upon how long God tarries, you know, in terms of the Lord's coming, uh, it'd be fun to go the other way and to see the effect of those people that you have led to Christ, who have led others to Christ, and to see the line continue on. What joy! What joy! We will experience what life is like in a new earth, free from sin, free from toil, free from sorrows and sickness and suffering and death. How amazing is that going to be? And so if in this life I don't get to experience everything that I want, if I don't get to check everything off, you know, my bucket list, as people use that term, that's okay. Because there's a new world coming. And there's a new world that's going to be even more amazing and glorious and beautiful than this present earth. And we will experience that for all of eternity. And so we think about these things that Paul writes, Lord, I need to be renewed daily in your word. 
Lord, thank You for this future glory that is there waiting for us. And thirdly, Lord, help me to keep an eternal perspective on my life. Verse 18. Paul says, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Paul will say in chapter 5, in this life we walk by faith and not by sight. We have to trust God. We can't see the other side. We walk by faith. You know, if any of you have seen the latest movie, The Voyage of the Don Treader in the Narnia series, you know, C.S. Lewis gives us a little glimpse of what that may be like to have this other world that is so real and those children that experience Narnia when they go back, they're just kind of frustrated. They can't, it's real. They, they, they've seen it. They've tasted it and touched it, but they can't explain it fully to somebody else. You've got to experience that for yourself. And so it is in this life. We walk by faith and we believe in that unseen reality because of what God has said and what He has done for us in Christ. He's given us the Holy Spirit as a down payment, a foretaste of what is to come. And He tells us that what we see in this life, these present things are temporary. They're all going to burn. They're going to be destroyed. They're going to go. And you can't take your stuff with you. It all gets laid aside. But what is unseen is eternal. That's hard for us at times, isn't it? Because what we see seems so real. And I would tell you this from the Scriptures, that Paul had to learn this too. It doesn't come naturally. It doesn't come naturally to us as humans. Our natural bend is to put everything into this life and to make the most of it in terms of ourselves and our possessions and things. It's a work of the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to say, you know what? I want to give things away. I want to prepare for eternity. I want to share my faith with as many people as I can. I want to give myself fully to the Lord's work. Because when we see it, when we see what is to come, it changes the way we live today. At least it should. But people have a hard time living today in light of the future. Let me give you an earthly example of that. This week in the news, there was a story about the number of baby boomers who will be retiring this year and for the next 19 years. And if you can believe this number, you know, I was looking at it, multiplying it out, okay, they said that starting in January this month, 10,000 baby boomers will be retiring every day. And that number will continue for the next 19 years. That's about 3.6 million a year retiring every year for the next 19 years. That's a lot of people, isn't it? And many of you are part of that. And what they said is that the sad part is how many are woefully unprepared for it. They just have not prepared for their retirement well, and then there have been other circumstances that have affected that. Loss of pension funds, reliance on the stock market, and you know what's happened the past decade. Poor saving habits. They gave an example of one man who had a very good income. Made about $100,000 a year, but spent it all, and he is 
trying to retire now with $5,000 in savings. $100,000 a year, only $5,000 in savings. Where did all of that money go? Just spending it on stuff, things that are not going to last. It is sad. But do you know what will be even sadder? If people have a hard time preparing for retirement, how many people are living their life in light of eternity and preparing for what is to come? For the unbeliever, I mean, death is going to be the loss of everything, eternal separation from God in hell. The loss of everything. An eternal punishment because they did not live their life in obedience to Jesus. And for the believer, there are some believers who will make it to heaven, but there will be no reward because they chose to live their life for selfish ambitions rather than for Christ. And what we are talking about today is just so important to get it and then put it into practice in our life. That God calls us to think about that day, think about what is to come, remember the Bema, we're going to talk about that next week, this judgment seat of Christ, and live your life in light of eternity. Give of your time, give of your talents, give of your treasure. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I love how Randy Alcorn puts it, we should live for the line and not the dot. The dot is this life, the line is eternity. Live for the line, not the dot. Whatever we long for and expect in the future will determine how we live today. Our hopes determine our habits. Our hopes determine our habits. And we see that, don't we? I mean, if we really get it and we understand what eternity is about, man, I want to live today then in a way that reflects that every single day. I want to pray. I want to share my faith. I want to minister to others. I want to encourage. I want to give. I want to do what God asks of me as an individual. All for Christ. Now here's the key. The renewing of Paul's heart came from something very strange. It came from looking at what he can't see. Now think about that. This daily renewal, this change in his attitude and perspective came from looking at what he can't see. We see it through the eyes of faith. Scott Haffman wrote in his commentary that the unseen reality that sustains Paul's faith is the glory of God that he saw imaged in the crucified and risen Christ. He looked to Christ. He looked to his example. Paul's confidence in God's promise that he too would one day share beyond measure in this eternal glory kept him persevering in faith in the midst of adversity. God had opened Paul's eyes to the glory of God himself in Christ so that he had come to see that knowing God was of more value than anything the world has to offer. He had come to see again that knowing God, knowing Christ, is of more value than anything that this world can give me. Have you come to that point yourself? To see Jesus as your greatest treasure and to give him your all. What do we need to live our life in light of eternity? We need a daily renewal. 
We need to remember our future glory. And we need an eternal perspective to walk by faith every day. Live your life in light of eternity. Let's pray. Father, my prayer would be that we would chew on these things and meditate on it and think about it and think about our own life today and the way we live it. Think about our priorities. Think about our time, our relationships. And that we would give it all to you and make those adjustments that we may need to make to live our lives as fully devoted followers of Christ. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to see this by your Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, to have greater joy, greater confidence, and conviction about those things that are truly going to last. And let us give you our very best in this new year. Amen.